This week, we head back to the world of serial killers uh, because we all know that serial killer September just wasn't enough. Um, this story, not a whole lot special to it. Just uh, just another deranged, just mentally unstable person who is allowed to live out in society for probably a little bit too long. So strap in. It's our weird world. Our weird Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson. And uh, yeah, this week we are looking at the story of Ed Kemper, a California serial killer, uh, one of way too many serial killers who uh, lived in California in the 60s and 70s. Um, not not really sure what was going on in California then, but they, they were doing something wrong. Because there were just, if you look at the history of serial killers, which should be a college course at this point. Um, there were just a lot of serial killers going around in the 60s and 70s in California. It's it's insane. Uh, Kemper, one of them, one of the more notorious, and uh, you're going to see why right here. So, uh, yeah, let's get into story time. Edmund Kemper was born on December 18th, 1948 in Burbank, California. Uh, at the time of his birth, he weighed 13 pounds. And that is a gigantic baby. All right. Like I was 10 pounds, six ounces when I was born and I have grown into uh, a, a larger human. But man, 13 pounds, like... I don't like it wasn't listed any, anywhere I saw, but I hope that he was born at a C-section because otherwise, like you got to like you got to go back to like episode one with, you know, Renee Rondolier, where they broke the mother's hip just to like pull him out or something. But I mean, like you you push a 13 pound anything through a hole in your body. You're not you're not going to recover from that. So anyway, that was a weird tangent to start. Um, but you know, it's going to get so much weirder. I promise you. Um, you know, he was 13 pounds at birth, but he grew into a very intelligent kid. Uh, he was a really smart kid. Um, but when his parents divorced in 1957, when he was you know about eight or nine years old, um, Kemper was devastated and he was even more devastated when he had to leave Burbank and go live with his mother in Helena, Montana. Um, Probably less so that he had to move to Montana. Montana, by all accounts, is a great place. You know, a lot of beautiful scenery. But uh, Kemper's mother was uh, a raging alcoholic who took pride in humiliating her son. Um, she made him sleep in the basement so he wouldn't hurt his sisters. Um, not because he was, you know, exhibiting any sort of violence, just because, but because he was just so much bigger than his sisters were that she was afraid that she would just that Kemper would just like fall over one day and crush them to death. Um, Kipper's mother also refused to show him any affection or like give him any preferential treatment out of fear that it would turn him gay. Um, sure. All right. Whatever. Um, and also because she just apparently hated her ex-husband so much, she often told Kemper that he was just like his father and that no woman would ever love him. So 
In response, uh, Kemper developed this strange coping mechanism that involved him killing every family pet they had. Um, when he was 10 years old, he buried their pet cat alive. Once the cat was for sure dead, he dug it up, decapitated it, and then impaled the cat's head on a spike. And like right there, look, at that point, I don't care what's going on in your life. You do that to a cat or any animal, you should be put on a list. You should be monitored like because that's not normal behavior. Like I get it. Your parents split up. It's tough for any kid who gets, you know, who goes through a divorce, but impaling cats on a stick is just not the answer. Um, but anyway, when Kemper wasn't murdering the family pets, uh, he performed various rituals with his sister's dolls, which typically ended with him cutting off their heads and hands. Uh, he also enjoyed playing games with his sisters like gas chamber and electric chair, um, sound it's pretty self-explanatory basically he would ask his sisters to tie him to a chair and then they would flip an imaginary switch and once they flipped the switch uh kemper would just kind of like plop himself out of the chair and just kind of squirm and um like seize up on the floor as if he was dying from gas or electric shock um you know so again you know that's that's probably strike two in terms of giant red flags, okay? You're decapitating the family cats, and now you're playing games in which you are reenacting uh, people who are being, you know, executed. So, you know, but no, no, guys, he's totally fine. Um, when Kemper was 15, he ran away from home and traveled back to California to live with his father. Uh, when he arrived in Van Nuys, uh, where his father lived, uh, where he thought his father lived, uh, he learned that his father had remarried and just started a completely new family. Um, you know, without even telling Kemper, but, uh, he tried to adjust to the new family for a few weeks, but then he moved up to North Fork, uh, to live with his grandparents. Um, the problem though, with living with his grandparents was that Kemper hated his grandmother because she, like his mother, spent a lot of her free time just treating him really terribly. So, on August 27th, 1964, Kemper got into an argument with his grandmother and decided that he'd had enough. Uh, he went into another room, grabbed his grandfather's rifle, and then returned to the kitchen where he shot his grandmother in the head, point blank range. Uh, when Kemper's grandfather, who was, you know, out at the time, got home, uh, Kemper greeted him in the driveway with a shot from the same rifle and killed him right there. And uh, not really knowing what to do next, since he had just murdered two people as a teenager... Uh, he called his mom and told her what it, what had happened. And, uh, she then told him to call the police or no, sorry. Kemper then told uh, his mom to call the local police there in Montana and then just waited for, uh, them, you know, them to relay it back to the man Van Nuys police who would then come and take him off to jail. Um, when police asked him why he had shot his grand grandma or grandparents, Kemper was just like, I just wanted to see what it was, what it felt like to kill grandma. So, you know, impulse control, probably, probably an issue there. Um, and so because California courts in the overly sensitive way they handle things, they felt that a 15 year old killing his grandparents was quote incomprehensible. And so they just refused to believe that it actually happened. And they had uh, Kemper diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and committed him to the insane unit of the Atascadero state hospital. But once uh, Kemper arrived, the psychiatrist at the state hospital completely disagreed with the diagnosis. Um, not only did 
Kemper ever show signs of schizophrenia, but they performed an IQ test on him. And the first one registered at 136 and then another IQ test registered at 145. And basically any IQ test over, I think 140 puts you at like genius or near genius level. So he's, he's really smart. He's a really smart kid. Um, and so, and for the next few years, while, you know, Kemper was committed to this insane asylum or not insane asylum, but you know, mental hospital, uh, he was a model citizen. Uh, he joined the JCs, um, like, John Wayne Gacy, because, you know, the JCs, I think, probably harbor some serial killers. I don't know what they do, but, I you know, clearly they attract some strange people. Um, Kemper also even helped psychiatrists develop new tests and scales to diagnose various mental illnesses. Um, and finally, on his 21st birthday in 1969, Kemper was released on parole. Um he was released to his mother, which is exactly what the hospital psychiatrist didn't want to have happen. Um, but fortunately, things seemed to go well at first, and he even had his criminal record expunged. Um, that allowed him to attend community college, and he tried to become a police officer. But um, because he was so big at this point, you know, at 21 years old, he was six foot nine, um, well over 300 pounds, and they they were just like, "You're too big. Like you can't physically become a police officer." Um, but despite that, he's, he maintained positive relationships with local officers with the hope that he would be able to work with them one day in some capacity. Um, later that year, Kemper began dating a 16-year-old, which, you know, I guess different times back then. It probably wasn't super weird. Um, and the two later got engaged. Um, oddly enough, he was also hit by a car in this same year and received a $15,000 settlement for the accident, which he then used to buy a Ford galaxy. And, um, with his brand new car, by all accounts, this was like the first car he really ever owned. Um, he started driving around and noticing just a large number of women who were hitchhiking by the side of the road and Kemper, you know, he wanted to be a good guy. And so he was gladly just picking them up and getting them to where he needed to go. And that's not a joke. Like he literally just wanted to be a good person at this point. But as he started helping more and more women uh, get to their destinations, Kemper actually started to feel what he called little zapples, which is a dumb thing, like a dumb term to call it. But basically, it was just homicidal sexual urges that he needed to address. And Kemper absolutely addressed them by going on a murder spree. Um he started in May of 1972 when he just started picking up his female hitchhikers and then he would, instead of taking them to where they needed to go, he would take them to a secluded area and then either shoot, stab, smother, or strangle them to death. And when he was done, you know, when they were dead, uh, he would take the bodies home, decapitate them, just like he did with the cat, and then actually decided to do some more awful things to them. Um, for example, uh, he would just cram his wiener into their disembodied heads. Um, I don't know why I, 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 you know, I like let's, I mean, if you, if you think about it visually, um, let's assume that, you know, they've decapitated and their mouth is closed. And I don't know how the human body works once it's dead. If like the muscles tighten or if everything just goes limp, I don't, I don't know. I'm a good person. I don't know how all of this works, but you would have to, you know, you have, let's say you just have this decapitated skull on your desk and then you have to forcibly, I'm assuming, 
open the mouth and then you have to maneuver your your wiener inside the mouth and you know without getting too graphic like i just i don't i don't see you know this makes me feel good as a person that i don't understand how what you're going to get out of that you know but you know kemper did so good for him i guess um he also uh, along with you know banging the skulls uh he also had sex with the rest of the bodies because i mean you couldn't let that just go to waste you know it's perfectly good dead body to screw i guess um and then once he was done you know painting the walls with you know after having sex with the bodies um he would dissect them and then bury them in various places around the area um on april 20th 1973 kemper was awakened by the sound of his mother returning home from a party and at that point he decided like he was done with her like he just hated her so much that she had to die and you know look i kind of get this one um i don't hate my mother but i've had roommates in the past who you know come home super late or maybe they have like a glitter party with their friends and they're just being loud and obnoxious and throwing glitter all over the place making the carpets dirty you know at like two in the morning like i get it at that point you know you just want to get some sleep and they're just being loud and obnoxious and so you know of course you just kind of resort to to wanting to kill them you know i didn't kill my roommate by the way but i get it I totally get it. Um, Kemper waited for his mother to fall asleep. Um, I may have said too much there. Uh, <laughs> Kemper waited for his mother to fall asleep, and then he went into her bedroom, bludgeoned her to death with a claw hammer, and then decapitated her, and again, just like with the rest of his victims, jammed his wiener into her disembodied head at the mouth. Sure. You know, was it his own mom? Yeah. Did that matter? No. Um once he was done, this is, this is what's like even stranger than like, you know, doing that. Once he was done, he then placed his mother's severed head on a shelf and just screamed at it for an hour. Just, you know, he was just like, mom, I hate you. I really hate you. You're so mean to stop looking at me like that. I don't care that I just had my wiener in your mouth. I did it. And there's nothing you can do about it. I had some zapples and I got rid of them. I'm a good boy. You know, um, <laughs> I just, this is getting so much weirder. If I like the stories are bad enough, but now, now I'm just, I'm getting, I'm taking it too far and I'm going to keep doing it. I don't care. It's fun for me. Um, after, after spending, you know, after he was done screaming with it, he then used her head as a dartboard. And then when he was done playing darts, he cut out her tongue and vocal cords, uh, had sex with her corpse again, and then went out to the bar for a drink. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, you got to wind down, I guess. When he came back home, he then invited his mother's best friend, Sally Hallett, uh, over for dinner in a movie. Um, you know, but of course, you know, he murdered her and then also spent the rest of the night fornicating with her dead body as well. Uh, the next day, Kemper took Hallett's car and drove to Pueblo, Colorado. After watching several news broadcasts and not really seeing anything about the murders, uh, Kemper called the Aptos police, which was the town where he was at at the time or where his mother lived at the time and told them what he'd done. However, like police thought he was joking and, and told them to just, you know, told Kemper to just call back later. 
you know, and like, I get it, you know, it's just like, yes, police. Yeah. I, uh, I killed my mom and her best friend and then I decapitated them. And then I jammed my wiener in their heads. Uh, and then I screamed at them and then I had sex with the rest of their bodies. And now I'm in Colorado. Uh, sure. Sure. You are, bud. Um, listen, this line is for serious complaints only. So why don't you just call back another time when you have something like real that you want to tell us. Um, (laughs) but you know, as requested, Kemper called the police back and asked to, at this time, asked to speak to the officer that actually knew him really well. Um, Kemper, once the police officer got on the line, he confessed to the killings along with killing six other women. And this time police decided to believe him and check things out. Um, Eventually, Kemper was charged with eight counts of murder. Um, He tried to commit suicide twice in police custody, but failed both times, which, by the way, like a a murderer, a serial killer, not being able to kill himself in prison is just one of the most tragically and hilariously ironic things to me. Like, you're so good at killing other people, but you can't kill yourself. Like, how bad are you in life where... Like you're already so mentally messed up that you have to kill other people and you get really good at it, but then you lack the ability to actually kill yourself. I don't know. That's funny to me. Um, Kemper's trial began on October 23rd, 1973. Uh, Three separate psychiatrists found him to be completely sane and fit to stand trial despite his best efforts to plead insanity. Uh, Kemper was eventually found guilty. And he actually then asked for the death penalty and specifically, uh, he wanted quote death by torture, but because it's California, he was just sentenced to life in prison. So yeah, there you go. Um, the story of Ed Kemper Um, just, a just a gigantic murderous, you know, mentally ill person, I guess a lot of serial killers can be turned into stories about mental illness. Um, which, you know, if you look at it like that, it's, you know, probably not PC to then talk about them and exploit them, um, because it's mental illness and you're not supposed to do that. But at the same time, it's just so entertaining. So let's see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, if you kill your grandparents, just I don't know why. I, every time I start a sentence like that, I think it just if you kill your grandparents and anyway, if you kill your grandparents and impale, you know, decapitated cats on sticks, you're probably not setting yourself up for a good life. Um, you know, it's just that's just not, you know, the behavior of someone who's well adjusted. Uh, number two, if a psychiatrist receives a diagnosis and says, no, you're totally fine. You should probably get a third opinion just to get a tiebreaker. Um, you know, not saying that, uh, Kemper would have, uh, you know, continued to, you know, go on the same path, had, had another independent psychologist, psychiatrist looked at him, but you know, don't just reverse course on someone who's just murdered two people. All right. 
Uh, number three, uh, you haven't learned it yet, but you're about to. So, uh, Kemper was actually, uh, put in the same prison block as Charles Manson. Um, and while he's been in prison, Kemper is still in prison. He's still alive today. Um, but he went back to kind of the, the way he acted when he was back in Atascadero as a teenager, you know, he was a model prisoner. He's been a model prisoner. Um, he helps other inmates schedule appointment with psychiatrists. Uh, he even became really good at crafting ceramic cups. I, for some reason, um, he even began, like he recorded several audiobooks for blind people. Um, I don't know that you can find those recordings anywhere, but he literally spent over 5,000 hours narrating books, um, and has, you know, read several hundred, uh, audiobooks that have his name on it. Um, he did have a stroke in 2015, which, um, gave him a mental disability. I don't know what that he was declared mentally disabled after the stroke. Um, and, but otherwise, you know, he's been a great prisoner. However, uh, he continues to be denied parole. Uh, most recently he was denied in 2017. Uh, he's eligible for parole again in 2024, but you know, he probably will never receive it. Uh, several parole judges have been like, no, you, you don't get to decapitate your mom and, you know, headbanger new, new twist on that word. Um, and, and just get to walk free ever again. Like you're probably going to stay in prison for life. And and he probably should, uh, he should have probably gotten the death penalty, but you know, whatever, that's fine. It's fine guys. It's fine. So yeah, that, that was a, that was a lot. That was a big number three. There's probably like, probably more like five, six, seven, and eight as well. Next week is another just brutal story. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. I, I mean, I could rearrange the episodes so that it's not as brutal, but I, I don't care. I'm going to do it. This is my show. Gosh, dang it. And I'm going to do the episodes that I think should be done. And so it is the story of Gertrude Banaszewski. Um, just <laughs> she uh, tortured, uh, a teenage girl to death in Indiana. And it is a horrible story and you're unfortunately going to hear it next week. So get ready for that. So, uh, hope you enjoyed it as always. Thank you for listening. Tell all your friends and keep it weird. Here, kitty, kitty, I have a zapple that I need to get rid of. And based on the chronological timeline, that doesn't make sense. But I gotta rip your head off your body and then stick my wiener in it. Because now I'm combining two things. Okay. I'm gonna go now. <laughs>